The following audio is from Heritage Christian Fellowship. More information about Heritage Christian Fellowship is available at heritagefellowship.net. Um, just an introduction to myself a little bit. I am, my name is Brent Sis. I'm the Children's and Family Ministry Pastor. Um, generally, each week I'm kind of over there with uh, your kids from fifth grade down. And um, it's, a, it's a, a privilege and an honor to serve here at Heritage. I've been here for four and a half years. It feels like a year or a year and a half. I mean, it's gone so fast. But at the end of the day, like, it's a privilege. It's an honor. And I'm humbled by the opportunity to come alongside of you guys as you guys pursue Christ and as I pursue Christ. We are pilgrims on the same progress. And um, as I was, I was telling the first service, as I'm, a, I'm a pastor, and there's five other pastors on staff. And um, can I just tell you guys, we, are, we have the same problems you have. And, and you know, and at the end of the day, our job is to point you to Jesus, and we want to do that in every way possible. And we don't have elevated status or anything. We're a pilgrim just the same way that you are. God's called us to different things. Um, at one time, I thought he was going to call me to be a banker. He didn't. <laughs> he called me to be a pastor. And, um, and so, um, so I want you guys to hear that. Um, I am, um, as I was telling the first service as well, I am from the South, so there may be a few things I say that need some interpretation. That is not speaking in tongues, by the way, for those that have grown up in church, um, and there will not be an interpreter on site. So just heads up, but, um, but, and I may use grammar. That is a little wacky, but that's okay, too. Um, so, um, and just a heads up, uh, Jeff, he uh, actually, he was leading uh, the uh, women's, uh, the Bible study aspect of the women's Bible uh, retreat this weekend, and um, so he, he'll be back next week. Um, we're going to skip over 1 through 14 and come back to that next week. Today we're going to go be in 15 through 30, um, and then here in a minute we'll, we'll pray for uh, the women as they come back um, today from the uh, women's uh, retreat right there. Um, just so you guys know, I came, when I, I grew up in a Christian home, my uh, grandpa, he was a a uh, Pentecostal preacher, <laughs> the red face, tie wearing, like slobbering out your mouth. Like for those who maybe grown up in that, <laughs> that and and that was him. And we grew up in North Georgia, so we were we were literally. And, and if you're new to church, you're like, what the heck did I get into? But he, we were one step away from like snake handling. <laughs> that's how that's how far down the road uh, you know we were in the in that world. But I grew up knew in the gospel a little bit. But it, for me, it was more of a a. Um, I get out of hell free card, just being honest with you. Um, I didn't really submit my life. I would say 16 was kind of the time I look back and I'm like, I gave my, you know, I gave my life to Jesus. And, and, you know, and, and since then, it's been, a, it's been a growing process. And, um, but at the end of the day, like today, our Bible story is going gonna, is gonna to really speak to a, um, a, you know, a, a Bible passage that I've heard many times and that God's used many times in my life as well. And, um, and so, uh, here's what I want to do before we dive in. I want to give you the context of Luke, like the big picture, overarching passage of Luke. And just a, a spoiler alert, when you, I mean, if you've been attending Heritage long enough, you know that um, the, the Bible was not written in 2018 America. So we can't interpret it in, in the same way that um, we would today. Um, we come to it with the context around it. And so just a few things context-wise. Um, and we're going to see the context even more specifically play out, like in how Jesus, uh, how the disciples deal with kids. Um, but some big picture things context-wise. Jesus is in his three years of public ministry mainly. And he's going around teaching. He's teaching it about the kingdom of God. But what he's doing is he's flipping the kingdom of man on its head to say, hey, this is totally different than, you know, the kingdom of man is totally different than the kingdom of God. 
Like the kingdom of man is a, the first shall be first, the wealthy shall be, you know, first, that type of thing. He's like, no, kingdom of God is flipped on its head. Now it's the first shall be last, the last shall be first. He, and so he, he's doing that as he's teaching, though, he's, as he's teaching that different paradigm that exists in the kingdom of God, he is uh, two things as well. He's making a lot of enemies out of the religious and uh, public leaders. Because at the end of the day, the religious leaders are saying, you know, it's all about what you do, and, and we're going to see that play out in today's passage. And Jesus, is, he's hitting them right in the heart. He's, he is nailing them in the heart. And he's going to nail my heart. I mean, he's been nailing my heart with this this week. And he'll nail, I, I pray, your heart in this as well. But he's not making very many friends. And also, he is continually narrowing down what it means to follow him. There's a sense where he is, you know, he is doing the, the church non-growth sermon. <laughs> he is like saying, you know, he's saying things like, if you want to follow me, you must eat my flesh and drink my blood. <laughs> now, at the end of the day, that's not a physical thing. He's talking about, you know, a spiritual thing. But he is not making, you know, there's people that are coming to him. I mean, we see that. We see, you know, the um, feeding of the 5,000. We see people being baptized. You know, all these different things. There are people that are coming to him. But at the end of the day, especially with the religious people, he is, he is like continually narrowing down for us. And so it, that's the immediate context, or the big picture context of, of Luke. Within the context of this passage, um, if you were here last week, Sam started out in 1720 and then finished out chapter 17. And what he did in that is he pointed out, um, or well, he pointed out that the, Jesus teaching about the end times. But in that same scene, we're actually in probably in the same scene today, even in 15 through 30. Because what he's doing is, uh, Luke is doing is he's a continuation of, of the same scene in, you know, in different passages. Obviously, Jeff says this all the time. The Bible wasn't written with numbers around it. It was, you know, those were la- added later. And, and this is a continuation of the scene. And so we've, what we have is we have uh, the large group. We have the small group. We have the disciples there. We have kids coming. We have people bringing their, you know, people bringing their kids or just adults coming to be blessed, to be healed by Jesus. And we've got a rich ruler as well that we're going to see in today's um, story. So there is that. And then what, as well, before we read this together, here's what this, these passages do. Two, two separate passages, but they go hand in hand with each other. And again, I said I'm from Georgia. I, like, I'm not, I'm not great at grammar, <laughs> and that, and, and I, I tell you that to say there's a word that came up this week or in the past few weeks as I've been studying. It's called juxtaposition. And all you grammar people are like, well, yeah, I know what that is. And I'm like, I don't. <laughs> and so here's what juxtaposition is and how it relates to today's story. A juxtaposition is two stories next to each other or two anything next to each other that contrast each other. Black and white, you know, um, would be a good juxtaposition of, of they're different. And, and in, this, in this scene, they're going to be juxtaposition of these stories. They go hand in hand. But they also contrast each other heavily. So there, as we go through that, keep that in mind and, and know that. And, and two, and as we read this, you're going to see this and you're going to hear this. These two stories address two conditions of an individual's heart. They're going to address your heart. They're going to address my heart. And so as we read this, think that. But at the end of the day, the big overarching picture, the question I want you guys to walk away with to be able, and equipped to deal with is who or what is on the throne of your heart. Who or what is on the throne of your heart? And we're going to come back to that as well. So here's what we'll do. is I'm going to ask you guys to stand. 
if you can, in honor of the reading of God's Word. Here here it is. We do that just more out of of reverence of the Word of God. We believe it's the inerrant, inspired Word of God that that uh, equips us, along with the power of the Spirit, to be on mission for the glory of God and to know God. And so as we read this, we're going to praise God at the end of this, and I pray that you praise Him as, as we read it. So it's chapter, uh, Luke 18, starting in verse 15 down to 30. Now they were bringing even infants to Him, to Jesus, that He might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called, to, called them to Him, saying, Let the children come to Me, and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And a ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And he said, all these I've kept from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, One thing you still lack, sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, How difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard it said, uh, th- those who heard it said, then who can be saved? But he said, what is impossible with man is possible with God. And Peter, Peter's always throwing something in there, uh, said, see, we have left our homes and followed you. And Jesus said to them, truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. This is the word of the Lord. All right, let's pray together, guys. God, thank you for your word. Thank you that um, it points us to Jesus. God, the, the, the one our hope is in. And God, I pray that by your spirit today, you speak to our hearts. God, you, you destroy the walls in our hearts. You peel back the, the layers of whatever layers it is to show us where our heart stands before you and what is on the throne of our heart. Spirit of God, use today to to serve as a launch pad to mobilize the people of God to go out for the mission of God, empowered by the Spirit of God. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we're going to start out in verse 15, and we're going to work our way through this story, kind of a verse by verse, section by section. Um, and here's what we're going to see in the first section of 15 through 17, is we're going to see Jesus talking to little children. We, we, we don't know exactly if, I mean, it says even infants, uh, some commentators, and by the way, that's a, I've heard growing up, I used to, this is a Georgia thing, by the way, or it may be a thing here, I don't know, but I've always heard the word commentators, they're that commentators. Commentators, get it? I know. If you if you serve in the kids ministry or you're a volunteer, you know I tell a kids joke every week. That's mine for you. Enjoy. 
have fun with that. So, um, so today, uh, well, not today. Uh, today, as we look at this, the commentator, um, he, he says that one guy said that even the infants we're going to talk about, it could be even up kids up to two and three years old. So, you know, younger kids. Um, but it, let's read that. It says, now they were bringing even infants, so possibly even up to two or three years, to Jesus that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. So here's the thing, we've got, in this, we've got this situation where Jesus is going along, he's teaching about you know, the end times, even before this, and we'll come back to this, the persistent widow, the tax collector. And it says there were people bringing even infants to him. That was a common thing in that day. People had known that Jesus was healing people, he was blessing people, he was you know, ca- casting out, all these different things. And so they're like, well, if, if I bring my infants, my baby, you know, my baby, my babies to them, they'll be blessed, you know. <laughs> and um, and here's the thing: is that it made the disciples kind of mad. And, and it's that sense of like, Jesus, we don't have time for these these little guys. And you got to think in in this cultural context, kids were it was a competing dual thing. Because if you think about it, even from the disciple standpoint. With Jewish backgrounds, they knew the Old Testament. They knew the same things I, I mean, I, I was saying earlier, like the like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. They knew that. They knew that. Okay, kids are a blessing. Kids are a heritage from the Lord, a gift given to us. So you got that one thing. But then on the double, the the flip side of that coin is that kids were also seen as a somewhat of a useless in, in society unless they could really be a help to to your home like one guy he said children were viewed as not adults they might be valued for their present or future contribution to the family business so kind of the what are you doing for me what are you doing for our family and especially in that agricultural context it's like hey you go out you harvest the wheat you go out and you know shepherd the sheep um but otherwise they possess possess little if any intrinsic value as human beings. And so, like you put that cultural context on it of, of the disciples kind of saying, Jesus, we ain't got time for this. We got bigger fish to fry. And, and Jesus called, he, he kind of brings them together. He's like, hey guys, uh, let's bring it in. Let me lay something straight for you guys. He says, let the children come to me and do not hinder them. And he's, just lay, he's like, bring them in. And he says, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child, he shall not enter it. Now here's the thing, though. Is even as we read that, as we see Jesus saying, hey, bring the children to me. We see in that, this passage, though, that Jesus is telling this. It's not about kids, actually. <laughs> it's not about the children. It's about, uh, he, he, he reveals it's about the heart of a person. He says, for to such, so that could be anyone, that could be a 90-year-old who has the heart of a child. He says, for to such, that person, the 90-year-old, belongs to the kingdom of God. So it's not about kids, it's about the heart of a person. And, and so it, it begs the question, how does someone come to Jesus like a child? Like, how do you, how do me, uh, how do I, um, how do we come to Jesus like a child? I think it's two things. It's one, it's a sense of helpless dependence. Like if you think about it, even in this story, like of infants, you know, again, it could be up to two or three. A one-year-old, two-year-old, in general, 
they are in completely, utterly dependent on their caregiver. It's like, I need you to change me. I need you to cha- you know, change my diaper. I need you to, you know, give me a bath. I need you to feed me. I need, you know, I need, I need, I need. I'm like helplessly dependent on you, mom or dad. Like, I can't do this without you. And then also it's an absolute trust. It's tr- like most two-year-olds don't say, you know, okay, mom, I don't trust you, so I'm not going to do that. Most, I mean, there may be a really precocious one that, out there. But absolute trust. One guy said, uh, children trust others for everything, their food, their lodging, the arms of others who bear them about. These little ones are the opposite of the skeptical theologians whom Christ battled. Those who receive the kingdom of God, or, or who receive the kingdom like a little child, have the saving element of faith. They have faith plus trust. They believe in Jesus, but it is more than a mind belief. They trust Jesus for everything to do with salvation and life. So for us, let's put, you know, put the two and two together here. You know, how does someone come to Jesus like a child with helpless dependence of Jesus? I need you. I have nothing to bring to you. I have nothing to offer to you, but also absolute trust. Jesus, I, I trust you. Like, I trust you with everything. I trust you with my life. And that, and that leads into like, okay, so what is the posture of a heart towards Jesus? And... That's, you know, that's where salvation comes. It, it is a posture of a heart. It's not a ceremony. There's a guy who um, I've, I've always loved reading his stuff and listening to his stuff, but uh, a guy named J.D. Greer, he wrote a book called Stop Asking Jesus Into Your Heart. Phenomenal book, uh, really, you know, really captivating too. And uh, he says that salvation is a posture toward Christ and not a ceremony. There's only one posture ever appropriate to Christ. Surrender to his lordship, one, and believing he did what he said he did. So it's belief and lordship. Belief and lordship. And here's the thing. For some of you guys, for some of us, we've grown up in, you know, maybe if we've grown up in church, you know, we've went, either been through catechism, confirmation, or even more in our context, you know, for those that are grown up in churches similar to Heritage, it may have been a, hey, repeat after me and you're good to go. And, and there is nothing in Scripture that would say, go through this class, do this, repeat this, and you're good to go. Like, that, that, is, that is totally antithetical to Christianity and to following Jesus. It is a, it's a two, it's surrendering to him and believing. Now, here's the thing. You could say, okay, I believe in Jesus. Sure, I'm, yeah, I believe in him. Well, biblically, here's what that puts you. That puts you in the same camp as demons, <laughs> It said uh, in, the, in the New Testament, I can't remember where, but it says that even the demons in, in hell believe in Jesus. They know what Jesus has done. That is an evident fact that it will be there for eternity for them. They, they know that. So now you're placed in the same camp as demons if you're just like, oh, yeah, I believe. But scripturally, and according to Jesus, it's a follow. Like, it's following with your life, with everything in you. Everything into you. So salvation is a posture of the heart of absolute dependence and uh, helpless dependence and absolute trust. That is the, the crux of what Jesus is uh, telling us as he talks about kids here. So go down to the juxtaposition. Uh, the, the, the second story that is placed there for contrast to what, that, what we're seeing in 15 through 17, we see the rich ruler come into play who is going to be the opposite of the helpless, dependent, trusting kid. 
He's coming with, with, he's coming with not Jesus on his, and not the glory of God on his heart. He's coming with something different on his heart. Sitting on the throne of his heart, shall I say. And so here, before I go into the story, a ruler, the ruler, just to introduce you to the character of the rich ruler, um, he, he's probably a local, he's probably a local Jewish synagogue leader who is wealthy and or he could be a member of the Sanhedrin. But, but regardless, he, it's two things. He's very wealthy and he's a very religious man. And if you've been here, I mean, if we've been, as you've been reading through Luke or any other, you know, you're going to see Jesus is going to hit hard on the religiosity really hard. And he's also going to hit hard on the wealth aspect of it. Not that wealth is bad, and we'll talk about that here in a minute. And, here, and I love this, and you're going to see this. Jesus kind of slips up to him immediately where he's like, um, he, you know, he says, and a ruler asked him, good, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to you, why do you call me good? No one is good except God. So he, the rich ruler asked him a question. But Jesus is like, oh, before I answer that question, you said something really interesting there, ruler. <laughs> Let's talk about this one. And he says, why do you call me good? Now, for a, a Jewish, Orthodox Jewish guy to say good, it would be, you know, equating him with God. And so Jesus is like, so are you saying I'm God? And the ruler's like, uh, maybe not. Let's move on. <laughs> you know, that type thing. And so Jesus kind of throws that in there parenthetically, or maybe or Luke throws, throws that in there parenthetically. And then Jesus answers him. He says, you know the commandments. Do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And he said, all these I have kept for my youth. And so Jesus lays out five commandments. I mean, obviously they're not exhaustive, and they're also out of order from even Exodus 20. But at the end of the day, it wasn't, that wasn't the point. The point was, in large part, especially the first four, they're external things that the rich ruler could do and be like, yeah, I'm good. Like, do not commit adultery. Well, obviously, I've never done that. I've never cheated on my wife. Okay, I'm good, the rich ruler could say. Or, you know, don't murder. Well, I've never killed anybody. See, I'm good. I've, I've nailed that since I was a kid. Don't steal. Nope, never done that. Jesus, I'm good. I told you, <laughs> I'm doing pretty good here. He's kind of in the same boat as Paul. Paul said that even. He's like, you know, I kept the law. <laughs> I, I, I did all of that, grow, you know, as Saul. It's kind of the same situation. Do not bear false witness. You know, don't lie. I'm good. Honor your father and mother. That can be a little more objective. But he's like, I'm good. And he says, all these I've kept from my youth. So this, this rich ruler's like, Jesus, by your own admission, <laughs> like, I'm good. And Jesus is like, okay, let's go for the heart then. Let's go for the heart. And when Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. He says, but when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. So the, the, rule, the reality is, is if this ruler, like if, his, if God's glory, the, the renown of God was on his heart, and Jesus said, hey, sell all you have, give it to the poor. He'd be like, oh, that'd be tough, but okay, I'm good. I mean, I'll, I'll do that, Jesus. <laughs> I, I'll, I'll get rid of it. And, but it makes him sad because he's like, oh, you're going there. You're going there? I, I can't, 
that's my wealth. You, you know, I mean, I've worked hard. I've busted my hind end to do that. I can't, I can't get rid of, you know, can't get rid of that. He has something on the throne of his heart, and it's not God. It was his wealth. And the, I mean, the reality is, and obviously, and you guys know this, is any one of us, we have things on the, the throne of our heart. And I have been following Jesus for 22 years. And there's things on the throne of my heart that I struggle with. Even as I, as I walk through this, I'm like, oh, man, Lord, those are things on my heart. Like, I like comfort. Like, I, I really, like, in my home, I love doing things around the house. because I'm like, I want a nice place to live. I want a nice place for our family to live. And there's nothing wrong with that. But, like, I, there's a lot of times I spend so much time, you know, consumed about thinking through what, what, what to do with that. I like, you know, I like the comfort of uh, relationships with my wife, with my kids, not bad things. I want peace to be in our home, but I, I exalt those in, in my heart. You know, and for any of, any of us, and I mean, different one of us, there's different things on the throne of our heart. It could be, you know, it could be money, it could be lust, it could be status, it could be any number of things that are sitting there that we, you know, continually bow down and worship in our own life. It could be our own, just as this guy, it could be our own self, I'm good to go. <laughs> Our self-pride, like, Jesus, I, I'm good. I, I, I give half my income away. I do this, I do that. And Jesus is like, but your heart is far from me. <laughs> your heart is far from me. In, in total opposition to what Jesus is saying with the kids, they're, you know, he's like, for two such belong these. People who are helplessly dependent, who are absolute trust, whose heart, their hearts is God and the glory of God in, in, in Christ. And, and he, Jesus goes into a really clear gospel, just home run, I think. He says, for, um, and after, after the guy's really sad, Jesus, seeing that he becomes sad, how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. That's a hyperbolic statement. That's a, a, that's a good another uh, grammar. Um, and, but th- that's the thing of like, no, that will never happen. A camel can't go through the eye of a needle. It's impossible. <laughs> and what he's saying is it's impossible for us, even in our good works, to, to do that. It, to do that. And then... And, so people are around listening, like, you know, they're somehow in on this conversation, and they, there's people that chime in. It says, those who heard it said, those who heard it said, then who can be saved? It's like, Jesus, I mean, that's impossible for, for any of us. And Jesus says, well, what is poss- impossible with man is possible with God. What is impossible with man is possible with God. And that's why I want to remind you guys that it's not about what you do. It's about what Christ has done. Um, a few weeks, uh, well, a couple months ago, I got to go back to North Carolina for a really cool conference. Uh, and as I was leaving, I was riding, taking an Uber back to the airport. It was like 4 a.m. Dude pulls up, and I'm like, okay, he's a nice guy. And started, immediately started talking to him. And it turns out he was a Jordanian. Um, he, he moved here from Jordan, and um, he's, you know, a Muslim. And we, and like, but he, he knew the scripture. And so we started talking about it, and it, it changed. And for some reason, every conversation has changed when you say this. Oh, what do you do? I'm a pastor. 
It's like, oh, that conversation is going to change immediately. <laughs> and it did. And, but for the good, like immediately, we, as, as we got to start talking about those things, he was asking really just transparent questions. And, you know, and, and we started talking through like the, just, you know, what's, you know, following God and, and how that's different from, you know, in Islam versus following Jesus. And who, I mean, he was, he was like, I, I believe in Jesus. Jesus is in the Quran. And I was like, well, here's it. And I got the, and he asked, and like, these are questions. I wasn't like, hey, follow Jesus, you know, turn, you know, let's pull this car over and pray right now. <laughs> it was like just conversationally in the spirit of God led, I think, um, I really believe. And I got to walk him through, and I'll walk you guys through this, is I, I told him, I was like, the difference, and I've heard this before from someone else, but I said, the difference between every other religion and Christianity is, is the mountain illustration. It's like every other religion and every, I mean, whether it's Islam, you know, even, even Mormonism or, you know, Hinduism or Buddhism, it's like God's up here and we've got to do all these things to get here. I've got to give this amount. I've, I can't do this. I've got, you know, in Islam, it's the five pillars. Um, secularism is like, I can make whatever I want to get to God. God's at the top of the mountain and we do all these things to get to God. But the, the, the story of Christianity and the story of this word is that God has came down the mountain. And he sent his, his perfect one and only son to live the life that you or I could never live, a perfect life that you and I can never live, to die a death that you and I deserve spiritually. And he took our sin upon himself so that we could have relationship with God. And so now we get to... We get God because he came down the mountain. And, and the reality is, is even in, in, to, you know, in, in our, even in our circle today, like, there is people, there are people that are traveling, trying to get up the mountain to do all these things to get to God. Like, you may be here at church today and be like, well, I'll earn some favors with God. You don't earn favors with God at all by coming to church. He's, he's self-sufficient. He, he, he's doing fine by himself. You come to say, Jesus, you're worthy. We want to grow in your word and we want to be launched out to serve. Like there is nothing good that you and I do that, uh, that merits his, his grace, his love. It is his grace and love towards us. And he, there are things that he's pleased with in our lives, but it's not, a self, it's not an earning thing. And that's why Jesus is pointing out, hey, what's impossible with man it's possible with God. It is impossible to know, to, to know or even fathom of like a way to get up the mountain. Like you can't do enough. Like even in scripture, it says even our, our most righteous things are as filthy rags. There is filthy rags before him. So it's not about what you do. It's about Jesus. And that's the glory of the gospel. That is the glory of the gospel. And then Peter, he, he Peter's going to throw something in, of course. But Peter said, he's like, uh, Jesus, we have, we've left our homes and followed you. Like, we have done what this, you know, this guy hasn't done. And Jesus is like, okay, good job. You know, <laughs> truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. And this is where, like, for, and especially, I mean, here, here it is. We, we try to make a point of doing this. This is where the prosperity gospel gets slammed on its face. 
He's like, Jesus, you know, because he could have said, you know what? There is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many houses, much more money, much more status, any number of nicer car. That's the prosperity gospel. The prosperity gospel is, is wrong. <laughs> when, you, when you give up everything to follow Jesus, you get Jesus. You get everything you need for life and godliness. You get the spirit of God. You get it all. Like I've always heard, the, and if I, I'm a... I'm a you know, I, I work with kids, um, and I, if I could bring an illustration of tons of sand up here, I would, but I've always heard the illustration, you know, picking up one grain of sand, that's like this life in comparison to all of eternity, you know, and so many of us, we get so focused on everything we do in this one grain of sand, when in reality, God's created us to know him in this grain of sand and to make him known so that more people can enjoy every other grain of sand, <laughs> you know, so we, for, for eternity, and um, we, when we give up everything for Jesus, he's like, you get me in, in this time and in the age to come. Uh, this uh, guy, uh, one of the commentators I was reading, and he's super phenomenal. He's back from the 1800s. His name is J.C. Ryle. And uh, he said it very, um, very well, and it's in today's language. I'll, I'll read it in, in today's language, obviously. He says, this promise, talking about the one Jesus just made, he says, it's a very particular promise. It does not refer to the believer's reward in another world or the crown of glory which never fades. It refers to this life, to the here and now. The many times as much in this promise must be taken in a spiritual sense. It means that the believer will find that whatever he has to give up will be more than compensated for in his fellowship with Christ. He will find such peace and hope and joy and comfort and rest and communion with the Father and the Son that his losses will be more than counterbalanced by his gains. In short, the Lord Jesus Christ will be more to him than property or relatives or friends. The complete fulfillment of this wonderful promise has often been experienced by God's saints. Hundreds in every area or every era of the Christian church could testify that when they had had to give up everything for the kingdom of God, they received such grace that they were kept in perfect peace. They were enabled to rejoice in his sufferings and delight in their weaknesses. In their darkest hours, they were enabled to rejoice and to count it an honor to suffer for the master's name. The last day will show that in poverty and in exile, and in prisons and before judgment seats, in the fire and under the sword, these words of Christ have proved true. Friends have often proved faithless. Royal promises have often been broken. Riches have flown away. But Christ's promises have never been known to fail. Like that's what you get when you follow Jesus. You get him and you get his spirit. That's everything you need. Everything you need. So as we like kind of land this plane uh, with this passage, you know, as I, as I was even prepping to, to do this, I was like, oh, man, there's so much power pack stuff in here I'd love to share. You know, like you talk about kids, you know, in that passage, Jesus, you know, I, I could talk about how to lead kids in, uh, to faith in Christ. I could talk about the, how, you know, families in, in culture, but also in our church are under just desperate attack and, you know, that we, to encourage moms and dads to follow Jesus, but also to love each other and, and serve each other in their marriage because that sets the best spiritual soil for the growth of your kids faith. I can talk about that. I can talk about money. I can talk about how to use money in a way that honors the Lord and points other people to Jesus. Um, that debt, you know, biblically, is debt's not wise. I can talk about the love of money is, is the, the root of all types of evil. But that's not the point of this passage. The point of this passage is who, you know, the, the throne of your heart. That's what Jesus is 
making the disciples, making the people listen to him in this passage to, you know, to, to hone in on. And I want to you know, ask you guys, where, who, what is on the throne of your heart? I'll show you guys a, just an a interesting thing. This is, comes from old four spiritual laws, um, and I learned it when I was in college. Uh, the guy that discipled me, but it talks about who's on the throne of your heart. So the, over here on the left, the natural man. You could say that was, that's the person who, who doesn't follow Jesus whatsoever. On the, in, the, the, in the middle, that's a chair, by the way. It's not an upside-down floor. Um, it's a chair, and on the, the heart of the natural man is himself. Himself. And Christ is outside of his life. Like, I mean, Christ is obviously there, but the throne of his heart is himself. Now you go over to the carnal man, and this is someone who's, you know, say, I'm a follower of Jesus. And these are things that you and I deal with every day. Um, but at the, the throne of my heart right now is myself. Christ is in here in my life. He's kind of a part of my life. Yeah. And when it, you know, he's my Sunday. That's my Sunday thing. Yeah, but the spiritual man, the man that's growing in Christ, it's a Christ is on my heart. Everything else, I'm filtering through Christ. That Christ is my life. I'm filtering through that. And the reality is Jesus is beckoning people to him, you know, saying, lay aside everything and follow me. Follow me. And here, let's think through the implications of this. Let's flip this coin over on its head as well. The implications of not having Jesus on the throne of your heart, on the throne of my heart. Let's think of that through our family. Is the reality is, is we could do everything good stuff, busy stuff. And that, like, that, that's the one thing I, I and I, this is another silly thing, but it, I think it's, it preaches. <laughs> uh, busy, binded under Satan's yoke. I think that's one of the biggest things we, we fight in our homes is busyness. We end up doing all these things that are good things, but they pull us away from doing the best things to allow relational warmth to foster within our home, for us to spend time together, for us to do simple things like eat at the dinner table together, <laughs> you know, where life can be imparted, for us to put, eat, you know, put our kids to bed and, and spirit, import, impart spiritual truth to them. You know, if, 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 we have, if we don't have Christ on the, oh, the throne of our heart, our families suffer from that because we end up doing all these things, all these distractions, good distractions, but at the end of the day, they end up pulling us away from the, the, the relationship, the, the most important relationship as moms and dads, where we, you know, in that relationship with our kids, where we get to impart to our kids spiritual truth. The implications of that for our legacy. Like, think of that. Uh, all of us, we, we know this, the, 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 the ultimate statistic, 100 out of every 100 people die. <laughs> the reality is, is your legacy is impacted by whether Christ is on the throne of your heart or if everything else is on the throne of your heart. You will end up living for status, for wealth, for, you know, a better house, a nicer car, all these things that may be good in its place. But at the end of the day, legacy-wise, you'll come to the end of your life and be like, I did the best I could to, you know, get you the best house, all these things. Good things. The best is Christ, Christ to your kids, Christ to your families, grandparents, Christ to your grand, grandkids, you know, Christ to your workers, your legacy. And also, like, the reality is the implications for our, the, peop, the people in our neighborhoods, in our communities, in our county, and to the world that don't know Christ. If we're distracted from Christ on the throne of our hearts, 
they suffer because we're not telling them about Christ. And like I remember Jeff back in June, he gave kind of the statistics of Jackson County and just the census, you know, there was like 280 or no, 220,000 people in Jackson County and like somewhere 170, 175,000 of those had it, on a census had said that they had no religious affiliation. That's a lot. And that means that there, that in our communities, there will be people who die apart from Christ and spend eternity apart from Christ. And guess what? We are the people to go to them, <laughs> to tell them. But then not only here, but also like worldwide. Let me show you guys another slide. This is um, of a world map. <clears throat> you, you guys see the red right there. That's called the, I think this is latitude. It's called the 1040 window. And that means the majority of people that, have, that are reach, unreached or who are unreached or have very little knowledge of the gospel lay within that window right there. And like even, you know, if you have, you know, kids in our kids ministry, we do a unreached people group of the month. This month it's the Maranao people of the Philippines. There's like 2,000 believers out of, a, out of like 400,000. They're considered unreached or least reached. And the reality is, is people in that people group will be standing before the throne worshiping the Lord in honor and glory and power and strength with, with all these things given to Jesus that he is de- deserving of and worthy of. But the reality is more will be if we, you know, if we go and tell. <laughs> if we go and tell. We, I, I tell you that just to say we've got work to do. You know, church believers, we've got work to do. Like if Christ is on the throne of our heart, we want to see other people with Christ on the throne of their hearts. We want to see that, and we want to be mobilized to go. Like, even for us as, as Heritage Christian Fellowship, you know, I like this, I, I like this illustration in my head, is we are, are doing our best to try to not make Heritage Christian Fellowship a cruise ship. And what I mean by a cruise ship, a cruise ship, you come to a cruise ship, you've got everything you want. You, oh, you want dancing? Okay, we got that. You want that? We got that. You want that? Oh, we got a buffet for everything at all hours of the night. We got it all. We, the problem with that is people end up staying on the cruise ship. The, we want to be a battleship that is on mission and has one mission, and that's to know Christ and to make him known. And we want to filter every decision through that right there. Are we, are we setting ourselves up to be the battleship so that these people right here can be standing before the throne of Jesus and worshiping him so that, you know, 170, 175,000 people in Jackson County can be standing before the throne of Jesus worshiping him because he's worthy of it. He is worthy of that. And the reality is, is we have reduced Jesus to a heavenly Santa Claus. It's like, Jesus, uh, you can, you know, give me this and give me that and give me that. Or a genie in the bottle, come poof my problems away. The reality is, he's not that. He's not, this Jesus we talk about, and I've I've seen this read before and I want to share it with you. This is the Jesus of the Bible. Jesus is the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning, the end, the first and the last, the final amen, the bread of life. He is Christ, our creator, our deliverer, our everlasting father. He is God. 
He's the good shepherd. He's the great shepherd, the great high priest, the holy one, the hope of glory, the image of the invisible God. All these things come from Scripture. He is the great I am. He is the judge of the living and the dead. He is king of kings and lord of lords. He is majestic and mighty. No one compares to him. Does this sound like a Santa Claus or a genie in the bottle? Uh, He is the only begotten son of the Father. He is full of grace and truth. He is the power of God. He is the resurrection and life. He is the supreme sacrifice. He is the way, the truth, the life. He is the very word of God made flesh. He's worthy of all glory and all praise in the universe. That's the Jesus of the Bible. So when we say we're followers of Jesus, we're saying that. We're saying that right there. Here's what I want to ask you guys. If, if you're a, you know, there's really three, type, you know, three people within our, our, our group here, is, you know, you, if you think back to the carnal man or the, the, the spiritual man, you know, the, the guy who has Jesus on the throne of his heart, continue following Jesus and making him known everywhere and wherever. The, the reality is you're going to, it's a, it's, it's a struggle to keep Jesus on the throne of our hearts. Even Paul said that. He says, I do what I want to do, I don't want to do, or I do what I don't want to do, and I do what I, you know what I mean. Um, yeah, that's always been a tongue twister for me. Um, but, like, that's always going to be the struggle. But I follow Jesus. Make him known. You know, for the, for the carnal man who's like, yeah, everything else is on my heart except Christ, and I could, you know, I'm okay with that. Jesus would, just, would say, there is no in-between. It's either me or nothing, you know. Follow me. Follow me. And then, you know, for the person who's like, hey, I've never, I, I don't, I'm new to this church thing, this following Jesus thing, he would say, come, come to me. Come to me. Like, I'm good. You get me, you don't get, you, may, you know, you may come to me and, you know, bad things happen in your life. Guess what? He's still the Savior in that moment. And you still have him. You have everything you need for life and godliness. You have your, his spirit. You get Jesus. And, and if that's you, uh, I'll be up front. You can talk to me, or as you head out at the Connect desk, there's these little Connect cards. You can just, you know, grab one and write your name and phone number and say, I b- might be interested in talking to someone about following Jesus. And we can connect with you and answer any questions. Questions are not a bad thing. They're a good thing, actually. Um, and so I would encourage you, come to him. Come to him right there. So here's what I want to do. I want to pray. And, um, and then we'll, um, I want to commission you guys to go out <laughs> to see other people come to know Christ. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you give us hope. You give us great hope, great grace, great mercy. And you've done that through your son, Jesus. And um, this the, he's the one person that scripture makes a huge deal out of. And we want to as well. Father, I pray that uh, within the hearts of those that may not know you, God, you would just show them, hey, you don't know me. <laughs> and uh, it would be really clear to them, God, that they would, whether it's myself or, you know, talking to someone or maybe talking to just a, someone in their life they know who follows you, that they would come to you and follow you, Jesus. And God, for us in here who are believers, God, we are, as a church, we are a battleship sent out by you to be on mission for you, empowered by the Spirit of God. God, I pray as we, as we just love and share the gospel with people, God, we see people come to you. God, use these people to go near and far to maybe even one of the places in the 1040 window to tell people about you, Jesus.
Spirit of God, thank you. Send us out empowered by your Spirit. It's in Jesus' name we pray.